Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, it's good to see everyone out here today, this beautiful Sunday. And we're glad to have those that are joining us in line. Um, I'm sure that you'll enjoy today's service. We'll be having our worship today. And uh, I want you all to get ready, those of you that are here for the first time, or joining us for the first time, uh, there might be things that you may not understand, but give it some time. If you have questions, you can email us at thegospel at rogers.com and uh, with your questions and concerns, and we'll do our best to see how we can answer your questions. And uh, God has been good to us, and we've had real good lessons. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for you and I to be here today and to be in this service or these services. And uh, God is working in our lives, preparing us. And uh, the recent lessons we've had dealing with the Holy Spirit is awesome. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it allows us to connect a little more with each other in togetherness. Uh, Paul said, he said, I think he was writing uh, to one of the churches. Uh, and he says, it might have been Galatians, when he says, As you therefore have opportunity... Let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of God. And uh, there are opportunities given to us to work with each other, to support each other. Yeah, the Philippians, unlike the Philippians, they did not have an opportunity uh, to assist and, and support Paul. But today is a beautiful opportunity. Good Sunday and, and uh, get your notebooks all ready and your pans out and your Bibles out. Uh, to have a great, great Sunday afternoon morning service. All right, so before we sing some choruses and worship God, join with me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you today that we can gather together for this service. Thank you for last night, for helping us and giving us a great service last night, Lord. And Father, this opportunity that we have, giving us our health and our strength, Enabling us, Lord, to be here physically in church. Lord, those that are joining us by line, we pray that you'll touch our hearts and our minds and our understanding. Father, that we can understand your word and apply them to our lives. Those that are not well, we bring before you today. Whatever challenges your people face, Father, we know that you are able to answer our prayers and to reach down your hand of mercy and deliverance and touch your people. Those that are discouraged right now, those with problems, Father, those that are going through stress and depression and anxiety, we bring before you. Lord, your word says, and you'll keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. And Lord, we know that Jesus was touched with the very feelings of our infirmities, and he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And we're so glad that by his stripes we are healed. May your healing virtue flow. And heal your people and touch us here today, Lord, and encourage our hearts and open our hearts, Father, that we can understand your word and keep your laws and your principles and abide by them, Father. Give us strength, we pray. Increase our faith and our confidence in you, Father. We thank you today in Jesus' precious name, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. <clears throat>
right spirit within me. Me fall under rock and mold me as clay into a vessel of honor I pray. A clean heart, oh God,
Beautiful song, and I am glad I'm his to a certain extent. And I hope that the time will come that I'll be his in a more uh, committed and dedicated fashion. Glad to see everybody out here today. Not everybody, but most of you out here today. I think we've got probably over 30, 35 people in church today. It's got to see Nadine sitting at the back. Um, uh, she, for services, uh, she took her surgery. Glad she's there. But Ovando, it's good to see you. And so it's good to see you also. And um, uh, everybody looks so nice today. We have had some amazing messages, and recently God has been good to us, and I want to say I appreciate Brother John and Brother Sam addressing this assembly last night. Um, today, I'm thinking on a few important messages that we have received over the past months. I'm thinking of this scripture in Romans, Romans the eighth chapter. And uh, we all know so much of history. We have gone over and over and over. Well, three of the main thought pattern that we have focused on for the past few services, I'd like to just refresh our minds with that here today. 
Uh, one is setting spiritual goals. In life, we must set goals. I told the young men, the young people in this church that uh, setting spiritual goals is an important thing. Uh, setting physical goals, academic goals, vocational goals, that's also important. As a young man uh, in a third world country, and I will call Guyana third world country, I was 12 years old when I accepted the Lord and I started to set goals in my life. Uh, this year would make it over 54 years being in the ministry. I started when I was 18 years old, uh, full-time ministry, going out and trusting God for everything, uh, for every meal that you eat, uh, for every piece of cloth, uh, clothing you put on, I had to trust God for everything, but I wanted to be in the ministry, and that was a spiritual goal that I set. The lesson we had in this assembly was setting spiritual goals. And I feel every child of God should work with the, the goal that God has in mind. And that is, the whole plan of God involves uh, the fall of man, the creation of the world, the fall of man, uh, the restoration of man coming from the Garden of Eden all through the Old Testament right into the New Testament. All of God's plan has one focus in mind, that God will cause some people to develop the spirit and attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, one of the things that everyone should think about is that we want to develop the mindset of Jesus. Uh, we call it the image of Christ, and this is what you need to understand. Last night, I, I looked at the church, and uh, while Brother John was talking, and I brought Brother Sam's attention to the assembly, and I said, Brother Sam, you look at the assembly, and I called a few names. I said, so-and-so person is sleeping. Uh, this other one is sleeping. Uh, the others are not paying attention. I said, you follow now, look at the congregation. You see, and I remember years ago when I was in a place called Gibraltar in, in Guyana, I had a young preacher visit with me, and I liked him. He was a black brother. He visited with me, young man. His name was Michael Patterson. And I was not married at that time. And when I took Michael Patterson to his old uh, West Indian church, Half the church likes to sleep. You know, when you, they, they get rest in the Lord, you know. Uh, when the service is going on, they, they sleep. And Michael Patterson, uh, very zealous, he did something I really liked. He says, I want everybody to stand up. And if you can stand and sleep, you can sleep. And he had everyone in that congregation stand up for the entire service. He preached and let them stand up. And I felt like it's disrespectful not only to the minister when you don't pay attention, it's disrespectful to God and the Spirit of God in a service when you just pay little attention to what is going on because this building here is not just a church building. Uh, what goes on in this building is designed to save our souls. And so paying attention and focusing on 
what God wants us to focus on and giving us a future ahead of us, we are hoping to develop the nature and spirit of Christ. All right? So one, we set in goals. Two, we focus on becoming like Jesus. There is absolutely no way you can become like Jesus unless you incorporate the principles of discipleship in your life. Uh, that is, you develop uh, the dying to self and coming alive to the plans of God that God has in your life. And so some of these things are important, and we'll talk more about, about goals and hoping to develop the image of Christ, two important messages that we covered over the past weeks and months. We have been over and over on it. And then the lesson last Wednesday night, uh, was it Wednesday night that we talked about hindsight being 20, 20 vision? Uh, hindsight being 20, 20 vision. And this is hindsight. Every possibility, every problem, everything that you might encounter in your life, there are men and individuals and women in this Bible that will give you the kind of classic examples that you can follow after. Everything is in this book. Uh, all you have to do is find out these examples in scriptures and see if you can pursue them. Here in the eighth chapter of, of Romans, and we have looked at this over and over again, we're to understand that what is the world we're living in, uh, they are unprecedented uh, events occu um, uh, occurring in this world when I said unprecedented. Um, I turned 72 this year and uh, it is uh, something else. I feel, I don't feel 72. I feel, apart from little aches and pains, you know, after you do landscaping for about three hours, you find that your ankle starts to give in on you. And all of this back home there are things that you can get yourself busy. This old man, 72 years old, can outwork any young man that's 25 years old. I want to say an older too, but, but I'll leave it like that. What keeps me alive is my busyness in the work. Uh, keep myself active. And so it is important to understand that Whatever we pursue in life, there must be a goal set ahead of us, and the Bible has hindsight. Whether you want a, an example like Hannah, we talked about Hannah, right? Or you want an example like Abraham, the faithless Abraham, when he left the land of, uh, when he left Mesopotamia, and he started to journey to the land of Canaan, he did not have any faith. In God, it was faith enough to send him to a different land, but he thought it will be milk and honey flowing in the land. See, milk and honey would only flow if you plant the necessary ingredients in. You can't reap corn unless you plant some. Amen. You can't reap the milk and honey unless you start to raise some cattle and have some uh, some uh, vegetation that bees can grow on. See, there, there is nothing that God would give, even when before man sinned, 
God told Adam, he says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And the Lord told Adam, he says, um, he had to take care of the garden prior to the fall. And so work is not a result of the curse. Hard work might be a result of the curse, but we're to work. This life demands work. We are all to be involved in, in working to sustain ourselves in this world. Amen? Amen. And so here in Romans, the 8th chapter, uh, Paul is writing here in verse 28. Uh, we are not going to deal with the entire 8th chapter because it's beautiful. It tells us how important the Spirit of God is. Uh, like we were singing, I need more of your Spirit. I would pray for the day would come when the Spirit of God will fall into the congregation. And when it falls in the congregation, we'll hear individuals speak in different languages, not gibberish. Won't that be something if uh, Sister, where's Brother Ron? Brother Ron, what's your uh, other language apart from English? Hindi? Won't that be something if Brother Joe gets up and start to speak perfect Hindi to you under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost? That's what they did on the day of Pentecost. This make-believe thing that is going on in the world is not genuine. It is more of a fake and a put-on and more in more demonic activities involved than the Spirit of God. Uh, we're here to, to strive towards receiving the Spirit of Christ. And what I want us to do is to think about it. When you, want, when you need God to help you, there's no way you can, you can develop this, the image of Christ without the Holy Ghost, genuine Holy Ghost in your life. And so here in Romans the 8, chapter and verse 28, Paul is writing, and he says, We know that all things, all things, good or bad, all things, uh, the negative situation, the peninas in the Hannah's lives, or the obstacles that Abraham had to encounter on his way to the land of Canaan, or the Canaanites in the land of Canaan when Israel was brought out of Egypt. Everything, whether negative or positive, is given to the child of God to make the appropriate decision and respond to that according to Scripture. If someone give you a million dollars today, what will you do? Well, if you're a child of God and you get a million dollars, what you do with the million dollars is as important as if you got five dollars, what you do with that is important. If you meet an accident on the road and you, you hit a, a something that's not good, it is important for you to understand what is God telling you? What are you to learn from that incident? When I count the amount of times I should have been dead and I stayed alive, I think there were seven uh, major incidents in my life as a young man growing up and being a pastor for this church when I should have had a serious uh, accident that resulted in a spine loss or a death. And God spared my life that I'm here today, still alive. 
And I plan uh, to be alive. I'm hoping to stay alive for a long time. I like to put some of you away uh, finally. Uh, not for the final resurrection, but for the first resurrection. Put you away. Uh, go to your funeral and uh, see that you live the full life. I like to do that. Maybe it might never happen. This year, this past year, past year, in one year we lost a sister and we lost a brother. Uh, both died. My brother from the United States uh, in Tampa, he passed away. That's the third brother in the family. And I lost my little baby sister, Yvonne. She passed away. Time was up. They had to go. And what is important is not that you will die, how you die and how ready you are is important. Here in this scripture here, I'd like to bring, I know we have gone over this a million times, but we'll do it one more time from a different perspective today. And it says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, the called, according not to your purpose, but to God's purpose. Verse 29, for whom God the Father did foreknow, that is the foreknowledge of God, uh, saw you, he decided what you were, he decided what your name was, God foresaw who you were. Uh, he sees Brother Ron for who Brother Ron was long before he was even conceived. See, God occupies, and I try to tell you this over and over again, he is the artist and he is working on this human canvas, uh, this general canvas, panoramic canvas of all ages. And he is outside of time. God does not age. He has created time. He occupies eternity where one that lives in eternity does not age. As long as the angels are submissive to God and they occupy eternity, they will not age. You don't have baby angels like Michelangelo painted in the Sistine Chapel at St. Peter's Basilica. There are no baby angels. There are no old angels. The angelic beings that God created remain stagnant in one age bracket. They don't age because they live and occupy a something called eternity. You and I, we're placed in time. Uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the days, the months, the weeks, you know, the years go by. We age. But here we are. God foreknew you before you were even created. So here is God's plan. Whom he foreknew, them he did predestinated. If you're called of God, you've got a destiny you can back away from. Listen to me carefully. And that is how I see every individual that is sitting in this church and that is outside of this church. I'm here today understanding God's plan. God's plan is to save everyone that he has determined in his mind to save. Whether that person is outside the church and is an atheist, if he is in God's plan, he will be saved. If that person is outside the church and he is a drunkard and a gambler 
and a whoremonger, whatever he is, God's plan in the right time, if God's desire is to save him, he will be saved. Whether he's a Muslim or a Hindu or, or whatever religion he belongs to, if he's in God's plan, he will be saved. If he is homosexual or bisexual or whatever, if he is in God's plan, he will be saved. The problem is not the man out there that has an attitude adjustment that needs to be done. It's the man in here that needs to have an attitude adjustment. I'm the doctor that only wants healthy patients. No, I must be a doctor that is challenged by the worst case laid before me. Then I call myself a doctor. A doctor is not only holding a credential or a degree uh, for medical science, but he must have the heart of a doctor. Amen. We had a doctor not living far from us. He was qualified doctor. You go to him, he gives you two injections, and he don't care if you scream or whatever, and he sends you off and you get better. His name was Dr. Singh, living across and not related to me. But um, he was Dr. Singh, and he had no heart or empathy or sympathy for the people. Uh, there was one, his name was Dr. Sukraj. And if you go to him in the night, and you have a family that has a sickness, and you run and you knock his door, the first question he's going to ask you, do you have money? That's not a doctor, that's a quack with a certificate. And there are doctors that I knew that will go to the ends of the earth uh, to save you and to help you. Those are doctors. And that is what we must understand. God will save the world out there. If we can understand that when that element comes into the church, we must be willing to bear up with them and hope that they get saved. When individuals walk through that door and come on in here, they become my responsibility as the pastor of this church to preach the gospel unto them and show them the kind of care and concern that will give them the opportunity to be saved. And that is why you don't walk over there and try to damn their souls. My job is to see them saved. Well, brother, saying that one is, if you know that one, he's on marijuana every day. I don't care what he's on. He's a sinner, and you're a sinner. You came on in, and you've got saved. Give him a fighting chance. Our attitude to the lost. We must understand that Paul wrote in chapter 5 of this same Romans, gospel, uh, Roman, uh, the book of Romans, uh, he said here in verse chapter 5, uh, verse 10, he says, If, if, and if, when we were enemies, enemies, we did not believe in God, we denied his existence. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Isn't that wonderful? When I was an enemy, well, what kind of enemy? Good enemy? Good sinner? See, the challenge God has is he takes the beggar, like Brother John was telling us and Brother Sam, from the dunghill. 
messed up, distorted. God's job, and that's the purpose of the church, to save the sinner. We can't just make a controlled environment here with all spit, uh, spit and polish uh, situations around us and expect to save the lost. We've got to have our hands in mud sometimes when it becomes necessary to save those that need God in their lives. And unless you pray for the lost, you would not have the heart to see them saved. Your attitude to the unsaved is a result of your lack of prayer for them. As you start to draw closer to God, the empathy and the sympathy and the feeling for the lost becomes stronger in your life. As you sit before God or you kneel before God on a daily basis and pray for individuals, your heart will reach out for those individuals. And that is why I've been here since COVID-19 started and I have not flinched. I have not backed down. I have fulfilled my position as the pastor in this church and preached the gospel nonstop over the years. Almost two years nonstop, did not miss a service. We were here, come thick or thin, I was here preaching the gospel. If you were home pampering yourself and did not feel it necessary to follow us online, may God have mercy on your soul. Because the sacrifices I make, you might be responsible for your own blood if you're lost. Because when we boil it down to the basic fact, we don't blame the devil for our incompetence. Our lack of dedication and commitment, we're to be blamed. And I'm here to give everyone a fighting chance. And if you want to hold fire, that's your choice. I'll, I'll lend you the matches. But my job is to tell you how dangerous fire is and to tell you that sin has consequences, disobedience has consequences, obedience has rewards. Amen? You're still following me? All right, we've got 20, 20 minutes to go, and I've got a beautiful lesson that I'd like to talk to you. Christ died for the ungodly. So whom he did foreknow, verse 29, chapter 8, he did also predestinated. You have a destiny. You know they have new cars they're making now. You punch in your destination, and the car drives and takes you to where you go. They have got cars now that... Uh, the, the newer cars can park itself? You, put, you, <laughs> you go alongside, you don't need park yourself. If you're going for a driving test and I'm your instructor, I'll fail you if you want the car park itself. But today's world is a different age altogether. The kind of training you need is different altogether. But there's a destination that you can punch in and expect it to, to reach that destination. If God has predestinated you, then there is something God will bring into your life whether you like it or you don't like it. Whether you're willing or you're not willing. Come on, child of God. And guess what the destination? 
I'm going to heaven, I'm going there when I die. I'm going to heaven and the sweet, sweet by and by. You ain't going nowhere when you die. If you're going somewhere, uh, why don't you make a trip earlier? You know, and this is all the fantasies they have in Christianity. If you're listening to me and you've got questions when I'm finished, you can always, Brother Sam says, email me, and I'll do my best to answer your question. But why is it that we walk over to a casket and tell everybody, don't worry, they look good? Well, maybe they do look good, but dead don't look good to me. Here is Sister Chandry. No, she told me already, when I'm dead, close the casket. Let family see me and close the casket. So when you come to see Sister Chandry, there's a picture of Sister Chandry on her casket, but you're not seeing her. And she's good looking. What about me? Seal the casket. Because all the liars come and tell you, you know, don't worry. Uh, they look good and they're gone to a better place. You know, I wish a dead man would get up one day and says, you want to go with me to this better place? No, well, I'm mean, not ready to go now. Listen, Jesus is coming back to resurrect the dead. Don't worry with some pagan philosophy. He's coming back with the trump of God, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Abraham is dead and awaiting the resurrection. Isaac is dead awaiting the resurrection. Paul is dead awaiting the resurrection. And so is my mother. And so you will be. And so our destination is already set. But in this life, God has a plan for you. While you're alive, he has a plan. And he predestinated you to do what? To be confirmed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, whatever Jesus was in the resurrection, when we see him, we'll receive the final touches and become like him. But during this life, you have to take on the very spirit and nature of our Lord Jesus. What a plan. What a positive plan. Predestination tells you that if God has selected you, no matter what problems you've got or no matter what hurdles you've got in your life, God will save you. Amen? And it goes on further on here. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, if God had predestinated you, he will call you at the appropriate time. Amen? At the appropriate time, you will be called. You might be a sinner, you might be a drunkard, you might be all kinds of things, but when God touches your life and calls you, there's a time when he will call you. Amen? There is a time factor. He will call you, and if he calls you, guess what? He just abandon you? No. If he calls you, he completes. You see, salvation is a packaged deal. God never does an incomplete job. If you're in the church, God brought you here. He had a purpose in mind when he brought you here. Either to give you the gospel, to change your way of thinking, 
and them to change your life or run you off forever to some foreign place that you would never get saved. You're here with God's purpose in mind. You must have a purpose also in mind and your goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. There is no way you can be conformed to the image of Christ by hibernating in some corner somewhere. But that's okay. That's not my job. My job is to preach to you. God's job is to work the changes in your life. And during this pandemic period, COVID-19 was the plan of God. COVID-19 and whatever other variants they have, it's all a plan of God. He never errs in judgment. It was designed to make the child of God start trusting God some more. And if God wants you dead, no vaccine is going to protect you from dying. But there are things that we do in order to survive this world. There is human responsibilities that we must be engaged in. When you drive on the highway, don't ignore the signs on the highway. When you're doing certain things in which your life is concerned, if you know there are disciplinary principles that you should follow, follow them. Because God wants to save you and you can make it rough on yourself or you can make it easy. You can fall on the rock and be broken and let God accomplish the work or you can fight, 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 fight and God wins in the end. Whom he did foreknew, them he called. And whom he called, he will baptize with the Holy Ghost or justify you. And if he justifies you, the end result is one day he will change your body and give you a glorified body. That's verse 30. Whom he justified them, he also glorified. And so is God able to do all of this? And here is where our lesson starts. You mean, Brother Singh, you haven't started the lesson? No, no, no. Here's where my lesson starts for today. It says, verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Are you a child of God? Do you have faith? If you're doing what is right and you're living according to the principles of God, if God be for you, who can be against you? That's a big question, right? But who was against Peter that caused him to be crucified? No one could crucify anybody except God permitted it. And that is something that gives me confidence because if I fail in my natural lifestyle, then I have to find out what God is telling me. Every experience, good or bad, has a reason. And so it says there, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. God love us. And that scripture is quoted so easily. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that those ever believe in him. You know, no, no, no. If God love us so much to give us his son to die for the sinner, who can be against you if God wants to save you? Can a virus knock you out? No. But are you to be presumptuous? 
Now you're to do your very best and leave to God the rest. Amen. Amen? Amen. Don't blame something. Don't blame the devil. Listen, live right. Follow God and he will protect you. Don't quote the scripture, a thousand shall fall on my side and ten thousand on my right side that nothing shall harm me. No, if you live ungodly, you will fall with the thousand. Live right. Let God protect you and let God save you. An elect that is destined to be in the first resurrection will not die before their time. You will die at the appropriate time. But because of our rebelliousness, God brings activities and things in our lives. When we tend to forget God, he brings us back in line. When I'm driving on that spiritual highway and I ignore what it says, 80 kilometers an hour, and I'm doing 120, that's why they have offices of the law. If you're driving according to the regular speed limit, and you see a cruiser coming alongside, you would not be upset. You would not be nervous because you're not breaking the law. You break the law, be nervous. And that is what is happening. Sin brings consequences that are negative. But God sent his son to die, not for the righteous, but for the sinners. And we are here, the church is a spiritual hospital that must open up to accommodate sinners coming in not to contaminate the church, but to save them. Let's finish the scripture off. It says, uh, verse 8, 32, he, For he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall, we, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God, through Christ, is prepared to give us all things. God's love is not like your love. He love today, hate tomorrow. He loves constant. If he loves you today, he love you tomorrow. Human beings, we are fickle when it comes to our love and how we feel for individuals. I'm asking God every day that when I reach out to people, what they do does not, would not infringe on my feelings for them. As you said in this church, I've prayed for every single one of you over and over again. Elizabeth, good to see you. I already put you on my prayer list. You see, and when I pray, oh God, help, help Brother John, help Brother Sam, help. No, no, no. I take your name and I bring you before God and there might be a burden that comes on me. I don't know what it is. I'll shed tears and I'll pray that God Save this individual in your own way. Make a way for them in your own way. And by doing that, I feel for you more than just an ordinary pastor would feel. I feel with my spirit and my soul goes out for individuals that are here. Amen? And so God, he sends his son. He feels for you also. And then it goes on here. I say some beautiful things. Uh, if he spared not his son, don't he give us all things? Verse 33. Everybody say, who? And that's me and you. Who shall say anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies it. You ready to point your finger and condemn me? Don't do that. God is saving me. 
You point God point away, but God is saving me. Who shall who shall put a charge on God's elect? It is God. You see that word who? We come back in the, the repeating of that word. Who is he that condemneth? I don't like you. I condemn you. No, no, no. Don't condemn me. Christ died for me. You know, you put yourself in a dangerous position if I'm elect and you condemn me. It's a very serious situation. If Christ died for me, brother John, don't point your finger and condemn me. And I can't point my finger and condemn you because he died for you also. I must give you a fighting chance. I might aggravate you. You might aggravate me. Our human nature is such. But I must go beyond the aggravation and have the love of God for you, Brother John, right down to the last days of your life. That is why I'm surprised not to see the boys here today. Because when you were in a hospital and dying, they were all crying So when a circumstance has to come in your life negative to jar you, I don't judge you then. I judge you afterwards and see if it taught you a lesson. Christ died for me, Brother Brother Sam. Don't condemn me. Don't condemn me. You hear me? He don't save the righteous. He saves sinners. And the worse I am, the more I am coming out of the dunghill is the greater his grace is. He that, is for, he that sinneth much is forgiven much. So don't beat yourself down and don't let other people beat you down. Christ died for you. One more who here. It says, it goes on. It says, verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ who that died. Yea, rather that he risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for me? He died for me, and he's bringing me before God, and he's looking at all the accusers, accusing me and giving me no chance. He goes on, verse 35, Who shall separate me? Who shall separate me from the love of God? You want to give it a shot? I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing. But I'm seeing the love of God that loves me. I look at myself and I condemn me because I have flaws, I have weaknesses, I lose my temper, I am impatient. There's so much in me that I condemn me and people condemn me. But God, who shall separate me? He says, from the love of God. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? See, the love of Christ, the love of God, it's both God's love is manifested in his son. It says, shall tribulation answer me? No. Or distress? Say it out. Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? No, nothing shall separate me from God's love. Not you, not hell, not the devil, not situations, not the world. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. I might want to separate myself from God. But if he loves me and Jesus died for me, God will save me. Verse 20, 30, 30, 
Uh, verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long, killed to the flesh. We are counted as sheep to for the slaughter. Nay, everybody, verse 37, read with me. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loveth. You know how many preachers preach that verse, just the verse completely out of context? I am more than a conqueror against the opposition, against the tribulation, against the famine, against everything that comes negatively against me. That's where I am more than a conqueror. You condemn me. And because I have the love of Christ in my life, I become more of a conqueror. It's not going out there and keep crusades. No. It's dealing with my nature and my con uh, people condemning me. And he goes on here, he says, for I'm persuaded. Paul writes, beautiful, beautiful two verses, and then we quit. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death in your family or literally death nor life, negative or positive, nor angels, fallen angels, or glorified angels. Neither principalities, human or demonic. Nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm standing here today with all confidence that if God is saving me, all hell can break loose against me. It will not destroy me. I might slip and my foot slip and somebody's ready to condemn me. But if Christ is saving me, don't get in the way. Don't stand in the way. See yourself as a good candidate for salvation. He died to save us from sin. And the Father's love is manifested in, the, in His Son, Jesus, our Lord, when He died on Calvary. Oh, don't just celebrate His death Easter time. Celebrate it on a daily basis because He died to save me. Wretched, miserable, condemned sinner, He died to save me. And I give God thanks for that. I give God praise for that. I give God all glory for that. Don't condemn yourself. Don't let your mind put you down. Don't let your neighbor condemn you. Have confidence in God because he will accomplish this work in your life. You feel down? Lift your spirit up. Your hands are going down? Lift them up. You feel your spirit is getting def def uh, defeated in a, in a battle? Look at the hindsight, the examples of scripture. Let it encourage you because this race, God wins. And the elect wins. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks today for another day in your house. Lord, we thank you for your son. And no wonder your grace, your goodness is reflected in the face of your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that you give your son to die for us. Thank you, Lord, that you're saving us. And in spite of all the negatives, no one, nor anything, nor any situation, nor any plan of the enemy shall separate us from your love. Thank you for loving us, O oh God, even unto the end. 
May your work continue to be in our lives, Father, this process of sanctification, even unto the end. Thank you today for every child of God present and those following us online. And help us to have confidence in you that the elect will be saved. We will make it to the end. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.